What's up, guys? Welcome back to Calvary Connect. I'm your host, Pastor Jesse Martinez, and we are on to episode number 10. Today, we are continuing our series on getting it right, and we're focusing on terminology when we share the gospel message. And today, we're going to be talking about some terminology to avoid because words really do matter. When we're talking about the gospel, the words that we use need to be clear, need to be understood for the lost person because we're trying to lead them to Christ and we don't want anything that we say to be confusing or misunderstood. So this week, what we're going to be talking about is the phrase, you have to repent of your sins to be saved. We're going to look in the book of Acts. We're going to look at Jesus's encounter with the weeping woman in Luke chapter seven. And we're going to talk about that word repent. What does it really mean? What is biblical repentance? And is it something that we should include when we share the gospel with the lost person? I hope that you enjoy this uh, episode 10 and part two in Getting It Right, the Gospel. Let's get started. I am so excited for today's study. We're going to be studying the terminology, do you have to repent of your sins to be saved? Here's a specific word that we're looking at today. It's repent. We're looking at it from a biblical context and a biblical definition. The phrase that's on the table is you must repent or turn from your sin to be saved. Now, that's not the biblical application of repent, but we need to prove that out. Here's something that's very important you're going to learn as you become a good Bible student and you study the Word of God. Definitions are so, so important outside of context, which I think is the most important thing a Bible student can understand. Definitions are also important. When you see a word that you don't know or that is interesting that sticks out to you in the scripture, it's important to grab a concordance. I use eSword, which is a Bible application you can put on your computer. It's free. I believe it's eSword.net. You can download it for Windows. You can download it for Mac. But I use the KJV Plus on eSword that gives me the definition in the original language for each word. And it's important when we talk about the word repent, that we understand how the word is used. I do believe that a person must repent to be saved, but I do not believe that that repentance means turn from sin. No one can turn from their sin fully. It is impossible. The only way you could know if a person has turned from their sin is if they have never sinned before, is they have to be perfect. Galatians tells us we are not justified by the works of the law. No man can be saved by the works of the law, because perfection is required. In Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, we have actually one of the strongest proof texts that the law cannot save. It says in verse 38, uh, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things. All that believe are justified. Not all those that, all that turn, all that stop sinning. It says here, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You know, turning from your sin, that's a work. It's a its a good work, but it's not going to save you. So why do we say it? Why do we say you've got to turn from your sin in order to be saved? The reason why I believe that's being taught is because the definition of repentance is misunderstood. And it's very easily corrected. So if you take your Bible, we're going to look in a passage here. I use the King James Version. Uh, I enjoy the King James Version because I believe it's the clearest translation when I first started studying the Bible, when I was around, like when I was seriously starting to study the Bible as a teenager, um, 
I, it was it was a little difficult for the King James Version to make sense to me, but I just powered through it and I wrote down questions and I asked the questions. I think a lot of people look at the KJV, they don't like the Old English and they kind of give up on it. There are a lot of other versions out there that are not clear uh, when it comes to salvation verses. The NIV in particular leaves out huge portions of scripture that are actually important for a person to come to this to you know to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their savior. And so I like to use the King James version. It was satisfactory for hundreds of years. I don't know why we got away from it. That's a whole another study for another day. But if you are following along in your Bible, just know I'm I'm coming out of the KJV. So in Acts chapter 2 in verse 22, Peter is talking to ye men of Israel, hear these words. So Every single Bible passage has an interpretation that is singular, and it has to do with the context. It has to do with the author. It has to do with who is being written to, um, you know, events that have led up to that, events that happen after that. Uh, and the interpretation is singular. But when it comes to the application of Scripture, that can be numerous. And you'll see the application of the Scripture here. But the interpretation is Peter is addressing Israeli people. He's addressing people that knew who Jesus was, and he's talking about how they got the wrong guy. They crucified Jesus through the Roman government. Specifically, the Jews said, crucify him, crucify him, let, him blood be, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Yikes, you had the wrong guy. This was the son of God, and that is what Peter is telling them. So in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, he says this, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, so that's who we're talking about, a man approved by God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. He's saying, you saw it. And remember, Jesus had thousands of people that were following him at one point, you know, outside of the 12 that he had with him, but people knew who he was. The Bible says that the fame grew round about him in those three years that he had ministry. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So he defines Jesus. He says, God had determined that he was going to do this before the foundation of the world. And you killed him, whom God hath raised up. And we're going to pause here for just a second. And I want you to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 6. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. I want to be really clear here. Jesus's resurrection was a known topic and event to this audience. They had heard the claim. There was a cover-up that the disciples took the body, and that's what the council of Israel had determined to pay the Roman guard to say. But people knew, people had seen him. Scripture tells us that 500 brethren had seen him in his resurrected state. So when he says in verse 24, they know who he's talking about. Whom God, so we're back in Acts 2, 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. What is being talked about here? is that Jesus came back from the dead. It's the greatest proof that he was the son of God, that he was able to do what he was, who he claimed he was. He was the son of God. He did have victory over death. I want you to skip down in verse 30, uh, verse 30, Acts chapter 2 and verse 30. 
excuse me, 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Now, Christ was the office. Jesus was his name. Christ was the office that he filled. So his last name wasn't Christ. It's Jesus, the Messiah. And so when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, I mean, people had their, they were, they were watching and looking and saying, okay, this is a, this is a big thing. And, uh, you know, unfortunately the Jews got it wrong. They rejected him. Verse 31, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received the Father, uh, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. And here's what he says particularly in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made, made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And this is important because regardless of what the Jews believed about Jesus, it didn't change what Jesus was. He is both Lord and Christ. A side note, when people say you have to make Jesus the Lord and master of your life, it doesn't matter if you make him the Lord or not. He already is Lord. And when Peter says here, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Well, those people had rejected him. They had had him crucified. Does that change Christ's lordship? No, it does not. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, that speech by Peter, they were pricked or poked, convicted in their heart, not their beating heart, their minds. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now here's verse 38 that is used out of context. But I want you to understand that word repent that we're about to see cannot mean turn from sin. Repent means metanoia. Specifically, that word here is metanoia. It's a Greek word. And if we split it into the, the, the two parts that it is, meta is a change. Noia is of mind. A change of mind, not action, a change of mind. Here's what he says. Then said Peter unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, let's just take the word repent and read the definition, change of mind. Then Peter said unto them, Change your mind and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism was simply just a profession of what they were believing, what they had put their trust in. And Peter is saying, you have to change your mind about Christ. Now, let's read that with turn from sin. Then said, un, then Peter said unto them, turn from your sin and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, from, from what sin? It's not clear. In fact, it is, is even more muddy if it says, Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Well, here are the questions that have to be answered if that means turn from sin. How sorry do you have to be? How many sins do you have to turn from? What if you honestly forget 
a particular sin? And who, what man, can give me assurance that I've turned enough? And can we really have any assurance? And I'm not nitpicking here. If if it comes down to heaven or hell, I want to know that I have turned from enough sin. And this is the problem with that wrong definition of repent. It means a change of mind, not to be sorry for sin. Unfortunately, when you look it up in the dictionary today, it says to be sorry for it, to have, you know, contrition and remorse, but that's not how it was here in the scripture. As a matter of fact, when I'm on my ESORD Bible application and I go down to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and I look at that Greek word, it is metanoia. It means to think differently. That is to change of mind. And that's the Greek word that's used here. So if a person says you have to repent of your sins to be saved, that is not biblical. Because you can't turn from sins to be saved. You have to be perfect. You have to have no sin in order to be saved. And we are all born separated from God with our sin. The only repentance that has to happen for a person to be saved is a change of mind in who they are trusting in. Now I want to look at a situation with Jesus, and he's at a Pharisee's house having dinner. And there's a woman, she's described as just a weeping woman who is sinful, and her sins are forgiven her. And Jesus says something very particular about it. But I believe it's also a good example of our actions cannot save us. Repenting from our sin is a work. And like I said at the onset of the episode, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to, to you know try and stop sinning. But it's not good for that to be your requirement of salvation because you'll never fully measure up to that. That's why I showed you in Acts chapter 13 where you know we are saved by Jesus Christ, what he did for us. And we're justified. All them that believe are justified from which you could not be justified in the law of Moses. But particularly, let's take your Bible and look in Luke chapter 7. I'll meet you there in verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them from the hairs, uh, with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself. So this is a private thought, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Now, this is probably a woman who is in prostitution, either willfully or unwillfully. And she recognizes that Jesus was in town. He was in this Pharisee's house and she came and gave him an offering. She was weeping. She was uh, bowed down to him in, in a humiliating position of taking her hair with her tears and wiping his feet. Clearly, she recognized who Jesus was, a, a man of great importance excuse me, importance, and that he could do something for her. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, which must have been startling, maybe. You know, this man had a private thought, and now Jesus is going to address that thought. Interesting. Uh, this is also greater proof that Jesus is the word of God. 
in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any, any two-edged sword, but it also says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We know that Jesus is the word of God because the word of God was made flesh in John 1, 12. And we can see that Jesus here, he was able to discern this man's thoughts. And now he gives him a parable. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. Jesus is speaking here. And when they had nothing left to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Jesus answers him and says, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon. So he's, he's gesturing to the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. And what does he say? This is what he says. Whereunto, oh, excuse me, I lost my place here. Seest thou this woman? We're in verse 44. Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, Simon. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss or greeting, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, This is the important thing. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. In the parable, Jesus gives the illustration of two people that had a debt. One 500 pence and one 50 pence in verse 41. They were both forgiven. The one who had the most debt forgiven, as Simon had correctly said, is the one who is the one who will love the forgiver more because they had more that was uh, forgiven. But it's important to recognize here in verse 50, the faith is what saved the woman, not her works. Her works were simply just showing men what she believed. I mean, Simon could have washed Jesus's feet if he recognized who he was. Simon could have anointed his head with oil. Simon could have worshipped Jesus. Instead, he was actually questioning as a Pharisee. And Jesus in this parable is exposing that uh, Simon was self-righteous. He was depending in his own works to save him. We can see this here in verse 39. The inner thoughts of this man. This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she, for she is a sinner. And Jesus illustrates that it she's she's believed on me. I believe that woman believed who Jesus was, that he could pay for her sin, and that's why she was so grateful, doing what she could uh, to express that. But it's not her works that save her. It's not her turning from her sin that saved her. She didn't have to repent of the sin for which he was a sinner in order to be saved. Verse 50 says, thy faith hath saved thee. So the reason why the terminology repent from sin or turn from sin is bad terminology is because first of all, it does not produce eternal life. The only way a person can know for sure that they have eternal life is to know what they are trusting in. And that is why I've said it before in the episode previous and I've said it, we, you've heard it in the interviews. The great interviews that have been on this podcast, people are trusting. It's a one-time event. They put their 
belief, they put their faith, they put their trust in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for their sin. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So I can't turn from enough sin to be saved. So I, when I am leading a soul to Christ, I don't use the word repent, even though it's a biblical word. Even though that person, if they trust in Christ, they have changed their mind, they have biblically repented. I don't use it because the word's just not clear. It's not clear in today's culture. When you hear the word repent, it's even becoming more of an archaic term, but people aren't going to know how to properly apply that. I like to use words like believe, rely upon, put your trust in, because they're clear and easy to understand. In, in Romans chapter 5, it, it says very clearly here, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. I want you to get this here. We see that God demonstrated his love and that it was Christ dying for us. But what's the middle of that verse say? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. If you have to turn from your sin to be saved, you have to turn from all of your sin, which no longer makes you a sinner, which is impossible because if you sinned once, you're separated from God. You're no longer perfect. But when you tell someone they have to repent from their sins, it's confusing. And maybe someone sent you to this podcast. And I don't want you to take this as like a lashing for the terminology that you use. If I speak too firmly, I apologize for that. But I want to be really clear. And that's why I speak firmly. We have to be careful that we're not telling a lost man that he has to stop doing what is in his nature to do. And realize we're not doing that. We're not turning from all of our sin. But we're telling people that they need to do that. It's not clear. God loves you just the way you are. In order for a person to have eternal life, they have to simply trust in Jesus Christ. And then after they're saved, then they need to worry about, you know, walking in the spirit and not walking in the flesh. And I am in no way saying we have a license to sin. But I can't get a lost man to clean himself up enough to be saved. He's already ready to be saved right in the condition that he is. I want you to see, too, in Galatians chapter 5, specifically look in uh, verse 16. This I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. There is a struggle, you know, even for the, this is speaking about the saved person, the person that has the Holy Spirit residing in them. There's a struggle between our flesh and our spirit. And that's going to go on for the rest of our life. So why are we going to tell a lost man to stop doing the thing that we still struggle with? And then in chapter two of Galatians, knowing that a man is not justified, this is verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, turning from sin is a work. We cannot make it a requirement for salvation. And in Acts 2.38, Peter is not saying, Stop sinning. He's saying, change your mind about who you thought Christ was. But back here in Galatians 2.16, let me finish this verse. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, period. And in verse 21, it says, I do not frustrate the grace of God or add to it. 
For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you did have to turn from your sin or do parts of the law to be saved, then Christ died in vain. Just follow the law. But no one can keep the law. That's why God, in his love, did it for us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was God in the flesh. He died on the cross, paid for our sins successfully, and came back from the dead as proof for it. That's the best news in all the world for anyone, the best of us and the worst of us. Simply put your trust in Christ, believe on him, and you will be saved. I love that clarity. It is so good. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to make sure that we talked about repent. And next week, we'll get into another part of terminology with the gospel, and we'll talk about it next week. But I'm really looking forward to that address, and I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to do what I can through this podcast to share story studies in Scripture. And we have another podcast lined up in a couple of weeks. Uh, Some good friends of ours are going to jump on the podcast and share how they came to Christ. I think it's going to encourage you so much. But uh, I just want to encourage you. If you have the opportunity to be clear, be clear. Use clear terminology. Yes, a person has to repent to be saved, but they don't have the understanding of that word has to be clear. They do not, a person cannot turn from their sin to be saved. Repent means to change your mind. I have repented of what I was trusting in. Before I came to Christ when I was 12, I was trusting in my good works to save me. I'm serious. It kept me up at night. And those questions that I wrote down in my notes today, how how sorry do I have to be? Sorry for what sins? What if I forget one? What if I do something I should have done? James says that that means, uh, you know, it's it's the sin of omission. And I didn't know. And my uncle sat down with me and said, Jesse, you've got to put your trust in Jesus. And I did that in the dining room of my home when I was 12 years old, and I've been saved ever since. And I have sinned plenty. I can't lose my salvation. But I, in, in that moment, when I changed my mind, I repented of who I was trusting in. I changed my mind of trusting in my own works, and I trusted in Jesus Christ. I've been saved ever since. I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Calvary Connect. Our podcast is all about stories, studies, and scripture. We appreciate all of our listeners and encourage you to share the podcast across your social media sites. New episodes publish weekly on Thursdays, so be sure to check back often. We'll talk with you next week right here on Calvary Connect. I'm your host, Pastor Jesse Martinez.